This episode of Writing Excuses has been brought to you by our listeners, patrons, and friends. If you would like to learn how to support this podcast, visit www.patreon.com slash writing excuses. Season 12, Episode 35. This is Writing Excuses, Short Fiction Markets with Spencer Ellsworth. Fifteen minutes long. Because you're in a hurry. And we're not that smart. I'm Howard. I'm Mary. I'm Beth. I'm Dan. We have a guest host, Beth Meekum. Beth Meacham. Meacham. Thank you. Um, and a special okay. guest, Everybody Spencer. Everybody gets it wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I'm trying to overcome the, the microaggression of mispronouncing things. Beth, tell us a little bit about yourself. I am a book editor. I'm an executive editor at Tor Books, where I have worked for the last 33 years. Outstanding. And we have special guest, Spencer Ellsworth. Spencer. Hi, I'm Spencer. I've uh, published about 20 short stories in various uh, markets, and my first book comes out August 22nd with Tor, amply midwifed by Beth, my editor. Awesome. And and just for, for our listeners, uh, Spencer and I met each other at Orson Scott Card's literary boot camp in 2005, and Jane Ellsworth in Shades of Milk and Honey is named after him. That's right. Mary said she needed a name that sounded really British. And I said, <laughs> you can't say my name, Spencer Ellsworth, without a monocle and a cup of tea. It's just not right. It's true. We all have monocles and cups of tea right now. <laughs> yes. Right, guys? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Our listeners, our listeners uh, ask a lot about markets, and the short fiction market in particular, is, uh, to my understanding, has changed in recent years and continues to shift. Um, what about it is fascinating right now? What would, you, what would you highlight right now? There are so many more short fiction paying pretty decent markets than any new writer realizes. There's, especially with the internet, especially with the crowdfunding cycles, um, we used to talk about, uh, in the 80s and 90s, there were the big three science fiction markets, um, Asimov's Analog and the Magazine of Fantasy and Science Fiction. And they were really more like big four, big five, because Omni was around for a while. There were several other print markets. But in this day and age, there's, there's really about a big 10 and maybe a profitable and, pro- and reliable 20. And um, it's, it is a great time to be a short fiction writer. Hey, guys, I sold, like, five or six just reprints last year of short fiction that had already come out while I was working on my book. I don't think I could have done that. I don't think I could have hustled that much um, before the Internet. When I asked for the most interesting part, he led with the money. (laughs) He's a writer. Hi, Howard. I'm a writer. (laughs) But but I mean that's that's true. Like when we when we talk about uh, what markets to submit to, I say that there's there's basically it's a, a stool with three legs. That you're making your decision, and you always want to stop start at the top. You're making your decision based on the size of the audience, the amount of money you're getting paid, and how shiny it is. And and the shiny factor is how much you personally want to be in that market. Like the magazine of fantasy and science fiction does not have as large a readership these days as Tor.com, but I grew up reading it, so I want to be it. So it's very shiny to me. Depending on where I am in my career, one of those three stools, one of those three legs is going to be more important. When I was supporting myself in New York on my writing and theater income, which was great, <laughs> um, 
The, Note, the, the uh, panel groans. <laughs> yeah, for those not benefiting from the video feed, that was a grimace. Yes. Um, uh, but at that point, the amount of money I was being paid was most important to me. Now where I am, the, the size of the audience is more important to me because I'm predominantly a novelist and the short fiction helps promote my brand. So it varies a lot depending on where you are in your career and what's important to you. Tell me about... Tell me about shiny. Are we are we allowed to talk about what we think are our shiniest markets? Where do you want to be? Where do you want your short stories to go? Or Beth, you know, what what do you find uh, well, shiny? Obviously, I find tour.com very shiny because I buy for it. Um, it's a very very shiny magazine. We also pay really well. Um, so, it's exciting to me from the editorial side. Um, to see the breadth and the depth of what we can publish. Um, one of the things that excites me about the enormous explosion of online magazines is that there are so many um, points of view being expressed. The editors of these magazines each have their own interests and their own viewpoint and their own personality, um, which they express through the fiction they buy and publish. Um, so the entire world of short fiction has expanded exponentially, I think, in the last 10 years. Uh, and it's very exciting to see because it, it lets you, you know, see so many new stories and hear so many new voices. Uh, back when there were only four magazines, you were really very limited in what you could experience and what stories you could hear. You know, one of the shiniest markets for me... Um, which not a lot of, I don't know if you guys all listen to it, uh, is the Escape Artists podcasts, yeah. which uh, for years I would listen to podcasts on Escape Pod, which are the science fiction fantasy ones. And for years they were, they were just reprints. They would buy reprints at a flat rate. It's a great place to sell a reprint and hear it podcast. I sent them lots of reprints, and they all got rejected. And um, just recently they started buying originals, and they bought one of my reprints. And that, that to me... Almost as good as Tor.com. It was really shiny because podcasts, uh, I, I really like what Podcastle does. So like Mary said, yeah, there's a shiny factor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So magazines that I find appealing personally, like when I'm, when I'm my, my current list, when I'm thinking about where am I going to send this? Well, actually, my current list depending, uh, depends on what the, the story is. Um, but the, the ones that I look at and go, ooh, when a friend sells there, I'm like, I'm a tiny bit jealous. Um, Tor.com, uh, uh, Uncanny Magazine, yeah. which I think is doing phenomenal work. They're really um, good. They're really good. Uh, Lightspeed, I think, is doing great work. Uh, Clark's World, um, uh, the, the Escape Pod. Um, and then a, a small press one, which I, is very dear to me, is uh, Shimmerzine, which does really nice work, but, uh, very, but it's very... Um, it's a boutique press, I think, more than a small press. They take a lot of care with their, their art direction. Um, so those are the ones that I get personally excited about. Mm-hmm. The, the, one of the shiny markets for me is game fiction. Mm. And that's one that has to be shiny for me because I lose money every time I write for it. I could have, <laughs> I could have made more money spending that same amount of time and energy writing something for an IP that I own. Basically, but I love games. When I had the chance to write for Privateer Press, I jumped on it because 
I love their game. And, yeah, and that's that, just that was exciting me. to me. That was me too. That was me too. Let's uh, pause for a book of the week. Our book of the week is a red piece by, shockingly, Spencer Ellsworth, edited by, shockingly, Beth Meacham. <laughs> Spencer, tell us about your book. Yeah, uh, my book is the first one in a trilogy of short novels from Tor.com uh, called the Starfire Trilogy. The first one is called A Red Piece, as in peace in the Middle East, not piece of cake. Um, and it's a space opera. It's, it's set about 10,000 years from now. Lots of empires have risen and fallen, galactic empires. So it's a bit... It's a bit like a very mean version of Star Wars. If Star Wars is more like the Russian Revolution, the rebellion overthrows the empire, the rebellion's worse. Our hero is a smuggler who goes looking for a fresh tomato. Hard to find those in the spaceways. And she stumbles on the Romanov children of the Russian Revolution analog. It's not... Literally the Romanov. Yeah, it's not not literally. (laughs) If you're a real history nut, it's just based on that. But um, what I... um, It'll be out August 22nd, and if you love... A good space opera, if you love some space battles, and uh, you like it to be just bite a little harder than the Star Wars, Star Trek stuff. It's a lot like it. chewier. And, yeah. It's a lot yeah. chewier than Star Wars. Well, well, this this is what I want, actually. I'm very excited to have Beth here. To, what, what was it that excited you about his book and made you say, yes, this is what I want to work on now? Um, well, I first read part of this book um, at a writer's workshop where I was running a workshop group that Spencer was in. Um, And he had been showing off uh, answering writing prompts with quick, facile pieces of fiction, the way he always does. Um, And he handed me... (laughs) He's grimacing now. Spencer Um, Spencer is a very skilled and very flashy writer, um, but not as disciplined, perhaps, as he needs to be and is becoming. Oh, man, this is, this is juicy. <laughs> Keep this going. Is great. Yeah. Yes. I'm being vicious. Beth, I finished my draft today. Yes, you did, and you out. are a very good boy, and I will give you candy. I just want to say that. <laughs> so it is a red piece of cake. We, it is. Um, anyway, so he hands me, I, I don't even remember what the prompt was for this piece, but he hands me this, like, five pages worth of Jackie, who is the main character, wandering in and looking for a tomato and trying to figure out what's going on because she's been on an alien ship for months and it's really hard to get human food because she's just been eating protein bars for months. And she really, really, really wants some fresh food. Um, And she wanders into the space station and it's weird. Everything is weird. She can't figure out what's going on because she can't read and all the information is being flashed on screens in text. So she doesn't know what's going on. And she ends up being shanghaied into a fighting pit for gamblers. And I'm reading this, and I'm going, hello, when did you start channeling Chip Delaney? Because it really, really read to me like an outtake from Empire Star, Hmm. which is something that I absolutely Adore. I love Delaney. I've always loved Delaney. I especially love his early space opera. And here was early Delaney sitting in front of me on a few pieces of paper. And that's when I decided I was going to make him write it all. You know, one of, one of the... <clears throat> there, there are two important lessons here. One, um, uh, be friends and close to editors who are ready to buy things. And two, uh, present things to editors that 
that they didn't know they wanted until they read it. Totally. Totally. And I don't I'm know always, how that works. but I am always looking for the thing. As I said in my speech, I want the thing that hits me like a thunderbolt. That's what I'm looking for. And I can't tell you what that is. So one of those things that, that I'm also going to point out about what happened between them is that Spencer was expressing himself. He wasn't trying to impress Beth. He was expressing himself. And one of those expressions of self was the thing that, that impressed Beth. No one else, prob- I don't know, but other people mm-hmm. may have been trying to impress her. One of the fastest ways to make your fiction flat is to try to write as if you were someone else. Spencer, mm-hmm. I'm sure, did you sit down and say, I'm going to try to write a Samuel Delaney piece? Hi. No, I thought this is way too, like, the Star Wars book I always wanted to read, but Star Wars would never license. I thought nobody would like it. But I was, I was like, I just want to write a kind of mean, nasty galaxy. Um, yeah. To bring it back to short fiction a little bit, short fiction really helped as well in kind of, it, it teaches you a lot about how to get the important stuff on the page how to shave out the non-important stuff. If you're working in a, about 4,000 words, which is the sweet spot for almost all yeah. those uh, big 10 reliable 20 that I talked about. Um, yeah, as, if you're thinking about when you put your novel first pages in front of an editor, some of the best training for that can be in short stories. Also, they're fun to write and they're fun to read. I always feel like, do you feel like when you talk to people about short stories, they act like they're homework? Yeah, I get, I get a lot of that and I get a lot of... Um, I see this happen to other writers who are short story writers. It's like, well, when are you going to write a novel? As if that's harder. Mm -hmm. It's longer. It's longer, but it's certainly not harder. No, it's It's, much harder to write a good short story, I think. Yeah. Um, The the point of difficulty hits at different points for both of them, but as someone who does both, yeah. The Mm -hmm. other thing that, that... and, and this is true for, for short fiction and novels as well, is that Spencer wrote something that he wanted to read that didn't exist. Yes. Mm-hmm. And with short fiction, that becomes... You, you, one of the reasons we are always saying you need to read short fiction if you want to write short fiction is so that you can read the things that already exist and not just rewrite them again. A lot of times when I was uh, slush reading for Shimmer Magazine, which is part of why it was near and dear to my heart, I was their art director. I'm not anymore, but I can say they're... Anyway, tangent. When I was slushing for them, I slushed briefly for Asimov's, and what I would see time and time again is a story that had already been told. The author wasn't bringing anything new to it, and it was pretty clear that they didn't read a lot of short fiction or they would have known that this story had already been told. Or they read the magazine for a while and thought, oh, this is the kind of story they want to publish, so I'll write one of those, even though it probably wasn't the thing that was in their heart to write. Yeah, if you ever find yourself thinking, this is a lock for Charlie at FNSF, this is a lock, this is exactly the kind of story he wants, you slap your muse, you slap them, and you say, no, because that means Charlie's going to reject it. <laughs> That's, uh, I might be speaking from experience. <laughs> that is a fine note for us to be running out of time on slap right. your muse. <laughs> um, slap your muse around. Who's got, yeah. who's got our writing Spitzer prompt? does. Okay, so um, since I assume a lot of you came here because you're Brandon Sanderson fans anyway and you like long stories, I want you all to think about a long story, you re- the type of long story you really enjoy, the type of storytelling you like to see in a big book, an epic, 
Epic of Gilgamesh type thing. And then I want you to sit down and write it in under 4,000 words and see if you can communicate the same, the kind of thing that you think needs 500 pages in 4,000 words. And Outstanding. This has been Writing Excuses. You're out of excuses. Now go write short. Writing Excuses is a Dragonsteel production, jointly hosted by Brandon Sanderson, Dan Wells, Mary Robinette Kowal, and Howard Taylor. This episode was mastered by Alex Jackson. If you aren't familiar with Locus Magazine, they're a long-standing and respected website, magazine, archive, and resource for science fiction, fantasy, and horror. Basically, they're the industry magazine for our genre. They also run the annual Locus Awards, a top-tier award that recognizes new, diverse, and excellent voices in speculative fiction. They tell the storytellers' stories through author interviews, book reviews, curated reading lists, international industry news, obituaries, and more. Locus has meant a lot to me, both personally and professionally. In my career, I've been interviewed by them, and I've also turned to them as a source of understanding who is involved in the industry. Locus is holding their annual fundraising drive to keep their doors open, lights on, and future bright. I'll be contributing to their crowdfunding campaign by donating a cutscene, some original art, and a couple of other things like... Do you want to do a one-on-one chat with me? So join me in supporting Locus.